RMN Behaving Badly, a topical, political and self-referential podcast all about mental health nursing in the UK. That's definitely what it is, and in no way is it a vehicle for the authors to foment a rebellion. Your hosts are Stuart McKenzie and me, Ed Freshwater. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. How are you? Fermenting. Ferment. Not ferment. Foment. 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 Don't ferment a rebellion. It would just no, be drunk. I, I, I would... I'm from Glasgow, you can ferment anything you like. <laughs> uh, you uh, oh, you need some fruit. Yes, I'm, I'm fine and uh, I'm well. And how are you? Because I have to say, for uh, those who, who don't follow our tweets and twats, um, here um, Ed has had um, quite a, a start to 2021. <laughs> so how, how has it been? Well, I, I started the year by having my son admitted to a hospital for a, a bone marrow transplant. So um, <laughs> that we're six weeks after that. And, uh, you know, when people say, ah, oh, it's the little things in life, isn't it? It's the little things in life that really bring you joy, you know, like a sunset. For us, it's just been a neutrophil, a single neutrophil <laughs> in a child's bloodstream. So small, but so <laughs> So important. So, so very, very small. It got to the point uh, I, I, he'd had uh, he'd had the the donation of these um, uh, of these uh, German stem cells because the Germans are way better, way better at getting themselves registered as donors uh, for all kinds of blood products than the British people are. And for all we whinge about blooming Europeans coming over here, you know. Um, I, I will say we couldn't find a match in the UK. We found a, a match in Germany. We actually found two matches in Germany. So uh, people, if you want to go and do something good for your country, go and register with the Anthony Nolan Trust and with DKMS and get yourself on the, uh, on the bone marrow uh, register, for goodness sake. Um, what was your question? Um, yeah, anyway, so it, was, it was what, three well, weeks? Well, I don't know. I've lost what my yeah. question was now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so he so he, he got this donation of stem cells um the side effect of which is you smell like sweet corn go figure it was a really bizarre but my my boy smelled like sweet corn uh for a day and a half um but three weeks after he'd had it, it can i just week, ask yeah could, was that jolly green giant and a can sweet corn yeah it was it was like boiling sweet corn you know that oh all right okay smell. oh yeah 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 and uh uh, not like popcorn smell, but like really, really strong. Did they warn you about this? Yeah, they did. But it was just like they said it. As, they said it as they were as they were injecting the stem cells in. So it's not like so you, you know, it's not like something that you would object to because it, it's not like um, well, we're, we're going to give your son a stem cell donation, but there are some side effects, and one of them is that he'll smell a bit of sweet corn, and you go, oh well, in that case, I don't think it's worth it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It is for Popcorn, a day and a half. Uh, I don't know, 36 hours of smelling like a condiment? Uh, no, thank you. Um, it's just but, the idea that you would be in there going, I'm sure I can smell sweet corn and nobody had prepared you for that. Oh, no. Kip, Kip was... Kip was <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this, am I having olfactory hallucinations? Oh, um, no, no. Kip was fully aware of this. So as, uh, as I go into the room, then he would just go, Daddy, smell my armpits. <laughs> Which, you know, um, I can cope That's with when, I'm, when he's four. If he's, if he's 15 and telling me to do that, I think I might just 
sell him um but uh put them on etsy because that's what you do with things etsy. that you've handmade isn't it um, but, <laughs> etsy yeah it's one of the hipsters shop on and uh but yeah three weeks after he'd had this donation then uh there still wasn't any sign of uh any neutrophils or anything like that so um so the consultant got a, a blood sample off him and she looked at it under a microscope because there was a chance that there might be uh, one there that wasn't being counted by the automated machine. And, uh, and she, she reports back to us, I've had a look at this slide and there are eight neutrophils on it. We're like, those are the only ones he had. Can you put the buggers back, please? <laughs> <laughs> this was but, supposed to be going in, not coming out. I know, I know. It's just tough. But anyway, it seems to be going all right. But good old German stem cells, they're very efficient. What can I say? They get there and they, and they produce a, a robust health system. Within well, I've, um, I, I think it's been very selfish of your boy to keep me away, keep you away from me, to keep you away from the listeners. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, absolutely. I think the listeners should know. And I don't smell try. sweet corn. Yeah. <laughs> you smell of many other things, Stuart defeat one of them um i, I think <laughs> i think we should uh, that's not the smell of defeat that's the smell of rejection <laughs> <laughs> no face it it's just the smell of being scottish and <laughs> but i think the listeners should know there were two occasions when we tried to have uh, when we tried yes. to actually record an episode uh, while i was in the hospital and you would have had the absolute joy of um various uh, syringe drivers beeping at you and a call button and every now and again um, a door opening. Um, I have a question to ask about doors in mm-hmm. uh, inpatient settings. Mm-hmm. I have never uh, in, in, 11, in nearly 11 years working in, no, hang on, sorry, 12 years working in mental health. I have never been in any care establishment, hospital, recovery site, inpatient unit, whatever, where the doors didn't get themselves stuck on the default noise setting of bloody loud when they open and close. You can, the doors in the hospital have all got a soft close thing on them, Uh which means you open it, it closes a little bit, then it closes really, really slow, like infuriatingly slowly. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as the latch hits the door frame, it is honestly, honestly, like a John Bonham drum solo. It just... <laughs> and it echoes around the room because every single wipe clean room is basically an echo chamber. It's more of an echo chamber than Twitter. And just this noise that happens. So you've got nurses who are trying their best not to disturb a sleeping patient who will slow that door down. But it is just impossible to shut a door in somebody's room without it waking up everybody in the Western Hemisphere. What is that about? Why has nobody invented a quiet door for an inpatient setting? I I kid you not, I worked on a CAMS unit, a a medium-secure CAMS unit, that prided itself on being autism-friendly, right? They were the whole ethos behind the design was that nobody is going to get sensory overload in here. Every single surface was smooth and tiled and covered in sound reflective materials, right? 
there was a, uh, a patient kitchen that had a metal shutter door on it that took 35 seconds to open or close. And the entirety of that was a machine, go- was a, a motor going, while the shutters went, rattling, right? Just, and, and because it Ed, hadn't Ed, been greased, Ed, it was going, at the same time. And they were going, yes, it's very autism friendly here. So, so listeners, as you have guessed, Ed has spent a lot of time isolated with his son. Watching the Teletubbies. Watching the Teletubbies. And uh, and And, Paw Patrol, to be fair. And and is now in a situation where he has all of these problems. He's spent his time observing the the gravity, (laughs) the magnitude of the issue facing us in the NHS and in care in general, um, and did that using sound effects known only to the prodigy. So, moving <laughs> <laughs> the is on on topic, yes, your son has been God, exceptionally we, unwell. We got a topic. And yes, uh, um, I am pleased to have you here with me this evening. It's uh, wonderful to be back. Lovely to, to hear you. I mean, We've had lots terrible. of nice messages from right. listeners. Yeah. We've had lots of nice messages from listeners. Um, we, Things like, where the hell are you? And Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we were our patrons a bit, and um, obviously we had some great plans for Mental Health Nurses Day. Um, but being the fabulous organic and fluid kind of you know setup that it was always intended to be, it sort of took on a bit of a life force of its own, didn't it? Yeah. In the absence of any organised. Well, I think when. When uh, when those of us behind it had the initial discussions about Mental Health Nurses Day, I think there was um, it, it came on the background of um, a lot of discussions about the identity of mental health nursing, and this is this is something uh, on which you and I could wax lyrical for days. Uh, you know, not hours, but days we could talk about the lack of a solid identity of uh, of the mental health nursing profession. And the effects of um, our lack of identity are that we're not regarded as proper nurses. Our role is not understood. And because our role is not understood or respected, then the government have got away in the last uh, 11 years with literally decimating the workforce. You know, more than 10% of mental health nursing posts in the last decade have been axed. And and that's a terrible thing. It's terrible in that what uh, in roles that should have been advertised for mental health nurses are now being advertised for, um, you know, mental health professionals or, or uh, workers or, or things like that. And... Uh, and so we've we've we had these discussions about we need to do something that is, starts to sort of raise the profile of mental health nurses, but it has got to be something that people own because there's no point in a committee of six people sitting around a table and saying we are going to decide what the identity of mental health nurses is. And then we'll just disseminate that in a top down, you know, we've paid for this report to be done and, uh, and, and it's published and the report has decided that this paragraph sums up every single mental health nurse. I think that's, that would be a really sort of toxic um, idea. And, and, and God, and forbid, what, God yeah. forbid for one second that you played to any stereotype that <laughs> can be 
quite belligerent and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and single minded in our, our, our focus as a as a professional group. I, I mean, as you, I, I genuinely believe that there is a personality and you know, there's a type of individual <clears throat> who's drawn to do the type of work that we do, and obviously there are subsets and specialisms within that. But I think that single mindedness and that that um, that force of purpose, that mm-hmm. need to to not follow the the normal narrative in contemporary society, because I think that, as we've said this before, it follows the same narrative as the people who use our services. Um, I genuinely believe that there are more people than ever working within the field of mental health nursing who have lived the experience or who have cared, you know, have cared for people. Um, and I think that can only be a good thing as long as we balance that up with making sure that that lived experience, um, we're not re-traumatising people, we're not exposing people to things which actually makes their health um, worse. We're not asking them to do the types of things that might be just too close to home. But I'm really proud of the fact that we, we inhabit that space which some people find difficult to understand. And I, and I use this word. Um, purposely uh, and have a place that people find difficult to intellectualise. Oh yeah. And I don't mean that to be an anti-intellectual statement. Um, I, I mean that to be, I think sometimes when you put things into words, it loses its mystery and its magic a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of us who don't have a lot of magic and mystery in their lives per se, it's quite nice to have some mystique around that. Um, <laughs> because nothing else is going to generate it. Um, but I, I think when you say to, when you look at the complexity of the lives that the people who, who, who depend on our services or who've experienced mm-hmm. our services, you know, we, and I've said again, I've said this before, we're as, we're as, as stigmatised within our professional sphere as they are within the patient population. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we still fail to truly understand um, what, what parity of esteem is. And I think that that also was reflected in, in the comments that were made back in, in positive comments from from other colleagues and other disciplines and professions on mental health nurses day about you know what an excellent job you guys do, mm-hmm. what an excellent job. You know there was some really nice tweets from colleagues who work in ED talking about the exceptional services provided by nurses who work in liaison services and yeah. the ever you know they're seeing ever more so than ever people coming through with mental health problems coming through EDs and that real recognition within that workforce of the specialism of the expertise that that mental health nurse has. And likewise, there was uh, several tweets from uh, police services as well, yeah. um, third sector charities um, who um, are either set up to, to serve people with uh, mental illness or who serve people whose circumstances also dictate that there are mental illness, you know, um, homeless uh, charities and, and, and that sort of thing, you know. And, and I think one of the really interesting things that, that comes out of hosting the, uh, well, well, just running the Twitter account, because it, it is at the moment just a thing that happens on Twitter um, and it is very non-hierarchical and it is very much... Um, you know, do your own thing, but let's just all do our own thing on this one day um, and share the stories. Uh, But it is just astonishing seeing the intersection of different areas of life where mental health is a very, very serious problem right now. And, And, you know, I mean, 
of course it's not a surprise to us because we we know you know this is kind of like the foundational thing of of the pod is that every single aspect of society affects people's mental health um but just seeing that being picked up in in a big way you know there was 128,000 people joined in uh, mm. the tweets um on mental health nurses day which is the 21st of february you know um but the thing I think we wanted to do from the from the moment that it was founded was to say, here's the date, here's a hashtag, here's a Twitter handle that you can tag. But we want you to run your celebrations. If you're a trust, if you're a team, if you're a, a you know private sector employer, we want you to do something that is going mm-hmm. to recognize the value that your mental health nurses have. If you are a practitioner, we want you to speak about what your day has been, what your experience of the profession is. And uh, if if you're a person who has used uh, our services and been in touch with mental health nurses, we want you to tell you what your experience was. And it's gathering that sort of plurality of voices, which in itself is kind of a key mental health nurse role. I think possibly where um, one of the areas where the, where campaigns have always fallen down is that they've sought to define what the mental health nurse does. But because we're in so many different places and because we have so many different roles, you can either have a job description which is unfair uh, unfeasibly long or you can have something that's short and incredibly vague and you know a short incredibly vague mission statement of what a mental health nurse mm. does doesn't really sort of meet any uh it doesn't serve any needs or anything um so it's it's really good to just get that plurality of voices to get that um not I think it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you can define roles by specialising as they're perceived in terms of around treatments or mm-hmm. age groups um, or the setting. Yeah. But that, that, that doesn't truly, um, it doesn't truly define, you know, a mental health nurse. But then I think that we'd, we'd agreed when we, we say that, you know, there's, um, there's not... I don't think there is a definition. You know, the more I have yeah. these conversations, the the more we we engage in that that chat, the more that we kind of dive into that world. We had those fabulous interviews last year with mental health nurses as part of Mental Health Nurses Day. You know, it demonstrates just that breadth of the lives that are that are touched in, in multiple different environments, and it sort of narrows it down when we're trying to say, well, what is a mental health nurse? look like when they work here, what does a mental health nurse look like when they work in liaison versus when they work in a prison. I think the role is defined by the people who ultimately receive the service. Um, I think that for me, I suppose the older I get, the longer that I spend in service, um, even now as a, as a manager. I think that's the bit that always sticks with me. How do we know that what we're doing is the right thing. Mm-hmm. How do we know that what we're doing is in the best interest of the person who's receiving the service? You know, we hear the phrase evidence-based, and I think that's really important. Anything that you want to do to someone, you know, 
we need to have that evidence base. You know, we, we've got to know that what we're doing is is effective. But I think the other side of that is, how did the person receive it? Did they receive it as effective? Yeah. You know, and and that's the bit for me that, that almost gets down to, you know, why we don't have a definition. And I suppose I'm more comfortable with that the longer I've been doing this. I've been in this game since the mid-90s now. And, you know, I um, I just think that it's... I think it's one of these things that you, you just... The, the, the harder, the longer you search for it, the harder it is to find. Mm-hmm. The more frustrated you become by not finding it. And I think a lot of mental health nurses feel that way. I think actually just feeling that they belong to something which is big, bigger than them, but inclusive of them is enough. Mm-hmm. It, is the, you know? it is almost that definition of the term broad church, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you can't possibly use... And I think that's also... I think in a time when what we used to do is keep people in hospital or asylums and keep people away from society and integration wasn't part of the role and being in communities wasn't part of the role. I think it was easier to define us as nurses. Mm-hmm. There, was an inst- there was an institution and people were in it. Yeah. And then they, as, they as prescribed we, the medicines, we deliver the medicines and that person cleans and up. There was, there was that much more traditional association with the role. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's, that, that, that's the irony of it, is the role evolved and as treatment and therapies evolved and the evidence base and the, 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 the academic background grew and there was a swelling of information and data and a swelling of, of different modes of, of teaching and we became a, a profession in our own right as we moved further away from our colleagues within what was perceived as traditional nursing roles, that was probably the point where we moved off in a a trajectory in a direction of our own choosing, where it almost feels like we're the ones who are saying, yeah, we want to be recognised as nurses, but we don't want to be pigeonholed. As (laughs) As nurses. (laughs) As nurses. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, and... And I, I suppose, again, the longer I've been in that role and the more I've struggled with it, I suppose I've become more comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. You know, the, as a mental health nurse, this is just not a form of nursing which is um, it's unique to what the person needs. The same as being a manager and being a mental health nurse, I don't feel I'm any less of a nurse because my job now is to, is to just be responsible for the operationalising of... of um, initiatives or innovation or I still believe I'm a nurse you know it's in the fabric of me it's who mm-hmm. I am um, and that informs said, your management style That's yeah absolutely absolutely yeah you've transformed your nursing care from a hands-on role into a organizing that hands-on care but you've also got that that towards the staff who for whom you're responsible as well you have that kind of a pastoral role yeah well, i think i think we've probably been better at that in terms of thinking i mean you know that's better than any having driven quite a lot of work around supervision and reflective practice in, in other roles i think we've we've led the way in that i think mental health nursing has led the way around 
you know, what supervision should look like, what reflective practice should look like, the importance of reflection being built in. I mean, that's not to say that it happens as frequently as it mm-hmm. should or is supported as frequently as it should be. But I think the evidence base would suggest that we've got a better grasp and a better handle on that, probably because we've got actually more of an understanding of the need to have that space. We also work in parallel with, with psychology colleagues who are very, very structured around supervision and reflection. Mm-hmm. I think that's a real positive um, symbiotic relationship that mental health nursing has with psychology there. Um, there are a lot of benefits to be derived by working in parallel with that discipline. Um, that professional group, but I think equally as well, I don't, I don't think even as mental health nurses, we've. I, I think the, the real strength of our, our profession, if you like, is we're a bit like Swiss Army knives. Mm-hmm. You know, overpriced. Overpriced. I think under undervalued. With many val- many valuable tools, and I think yeah. I think that that that's the thing for us. We pick up lots of little skills. You pick mm-hmm. up lots of little things from other disciplines who are maybe a little bit better at us than articulate what it is they bring to the table, which is often reflected in banding and opportunity um, and in progression in career. And I think mental health and in, the, and the, in the development of services as well. I think that's oh, really yeah, key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless you kind of ball Shane Beardy or, or, or ball, well, that could be a man or a woman. Um, but I think, that, I think the thing for me is that this mental health nurses day really crystallised that view for me that actually, do you know what, it, it's, I, I think it's absolutely okay for us not to have a poster child of mental health nursing. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely okay for us not to have a definition. And it's absolutely okay for us to just continue to, we all know what each other do. It's like we have a collective understanding. We don't want to make us sound like the Borg because we're yeah. probably the antithesis of the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> There's the you know, definition. Be, <laughs> what do you do? I'm a mental really... health nurse. Well, what's that like? Well, I'm kind of the antithesis of the Borg. Yeah, okay. Because we okay, would be really crap. Helpful. Yeah. We would be a really, we would be a really crap if you put a hundred thousand. I don't know how many Borgs live in a Borg cube, but if you put a hundred thousand mental health nurses in a cube and made us act like the Borg, nothing would get done. Right, because someone would say, someone would say, we're going to go and we're going to invade that planet and we're going to assimilate them all. And someone would go, hang on, though. Well, have you discussed that with them? Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't think you've got no. their consent, though. Right. You know, is anybody? Like, I think we're going to need a liaison officer for this, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, this whole idea. That Who's in charge of making the tea in this operation, though? Right. And, <laughs> But, but Will there be biscuits? Like, Will there be biscuits? Is the hobnobs? <laughs> I will say, and, and in, I, in the whole Twitter chats for Mental Health Nurses Day, the amount of times that biscuits and cake were biscuits mentioned. And, cake. <laughs> and, and, there's, and there's something for me that thinks, do you know what, I know that there will be people who will cringe at us potentially pushing a, a, a bit of a stale stated, um, stereotype, but it's true. Right, you know, for any of us that have been in, in this business long enough, it's true. And that's the thing for me about the, the camaraderie, about that dark humour, about that the evolution of a professional group where we get what we do and, and we, we also know the areas within that skill set where we're probably not best placed to work. Um, 
But I look at my own creative development and I think I look at where I am now and not an area that I would have felt naturally drawn to, but absolutely loving working in that area now. Certainly didn't set out my career to work in that specialism. Never mind be a manager or a leader within it, but do you know what? It just blows my mind. And that ability to move through different disciplines, but holding on to this core sense of values about empowering patients, about listening, about um, having taken the time to, to truly understand how that person feels in that moment and not feel compelled to fix it, to just say, do you know what? I get you're angry. It's all right. I get that. Do you know, if I were you, I might want it. I might want it. I would, but you're doing really well. I might not respond as well as you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the thing yeah. for me. You know, oh, maybe definitely. I'm... I, I don't want to be, I don't want people to perceive this as me playing down how absolutely I've met some incredibly skilled, talented, intelligent mental health nurses. This is not to dilute uh, what, what we do. In actual fact, I feel a little bit liberated by the fact that actually, I don't think we need enable, a label. I don't think it does anything for us. I think we've got our place in the register. And I think if this pandemic has shown one thing, it's that we are, we as a discipline group, as a professional group, are here to stay. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, it's only now through coming through such a thing that people recognise the true value of what registered mental health nurses bring within the multidisciplinary team. Mm-hmm. Preach it, uh, brother Stuart. No, it's, it's, and, and people use this word resilience. You know, we've been here as well, we've had that conversation. It's that cringe word, and you, you, you look at it and you go, hmm, resilience. But when you speak, when, when we use that word in mental health, it's a word that we've used about an individual's ability to manage and cope with the circumstances that they face. So we've used that word, an individual's resilience, their ability to cope with these stressors in life. And it's almost become a dirty word in terms of human resources and, and you know, about the well, resilience I'll, of staff. I'll tell you exactly why that is, though, and that's because mental health nurses will use resilience in a positive way, and we will talk about somebody's resilience to cope with the with the hand they've been dealt with the situation that they're in. You know, the the number of mm-hmm. times that I've sat with somebody who's just said, you you know, they've they've gone through their life circumstances. And then told, and then told me that they just feel awful, and being able to say to them, "I understand why you would feel awful like that. This shouldn't happen to anybody, you know." But you're still surviving, and that's really admirable because you've got this resilience. When it's used by HR, it's used as a stick to batter staff with, and it and it's a you know when we use it towards people in our care, we use it as a positive. And when ah, HR use it, it's a critique. It's only I don't even think it's, that you don't uh, have enough resilience. I think I think what's happened at though is I mean I don't disagree with me, Stuart. You know I'm I'm right. gonna disagree with you because it, it's not even that it's HR. I think it's really easy for us to just it's easy for us to it would be helpful for others if we picked a group of people to blame for it. But actually it comes from the people who divvy up the money who are the elected people, they, it, it's a word that they can use 
to then start to drive initiatives and you put a little bit of money behind it and you look at tolerances and intolerances and you know resilience and workforce planning and you can put a whole load of crap behind that. I don't think that you know, I've met a lot of good HR people who actually have the same drive to do well in the job that, that they do as we do. I think it's one of these divisive tools that are put out there and all of a sudden they've got to operationalise a resilience and staff wellbeing policy document that they had no engagement in the, the development or the design of and all of a sudden they're out there like, what? Um, and I think the conflation of wellbeing, wellness and mental ill health hasn't helped because it puts more pressure on our discipline, on our profession, because as was clearly articulated by some people who commented on their own negative experience of our profession during Mental Health Nurses Day, I trained in, in the mid-90s and was very much trained in a mental ill health model. Mm-hmm. Right. I was trained and educated to recognise symptoms of mental ill health. Yeah. Very little of my training and education coming through a BSc honours degree at Robert Gordon University in 1996-7, right, was focused upon health promotion, around early intervention, or around recovery. Those are things I've had to learn about on the job. Now, an undergraduate mental health nurse nowadays, that's bread and butter to them. Mm-hmm. That, 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 is, that is at the heart of what they do. But that's okay that I can exist in a world that they're in because I still have skills which are still relevant. I still have knowledge which is relevant. But it's good because it shows the evolution. We did do things to people without their consent. We did do things things to people. people Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Mental Health Act legislation, and regardless of what it is, it is amongst some of the most powerful legislation available. Um, And... and. I would say that based on having seen the application of the 1984 Act in Scotland before the new Act, yeah, absolutely, the new Act is much more liberal, but that's reviewing it again. And I find that interesting. It also feels like I can age myself now that I feel maybe <laughs> now that the mental, <laughs> health, act, of the mental health Act. Yeah, <laughs> I feel now that I'm like, oh my God, I trained under one Act. I had, you know, my my real um, baptism of fire is as an E grade, F grade, and then subsequent six with the new act coming in. I've lived with the new act for a you know you know for a number of years now, sixteen, and now I'm like, yeah. oh, is they changing it? Yeah, and I remember, I remember when they were changing the old act. Everybody going, I'm never going to be doing that. <laughs> I'm just wondering if if you know, basically in in our dotage, <laughs> you know, when when we're the ancient ones in practice, uh, sat sat in this kind of staff breakout room as <laughs> as, as the as the old people, as the oh, elders uh, of the profession that you go to for guidance, and somebody will come in with a question, and we'll go, oh, well, I can remember when the act was in its first definition uh, you used to work on the one in 19 and all these young nurses just got there was an act there was an no, act you you know you know it's it's like showing your showing somebody's kids that you, you know that bit from uh, my name is slim shady yeah that was from yeah, 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 yeah. in the 70s you know and that's the thing <gasps> yeah 
Maybe the aspirations. It's a cover version. Actually. Did you know that? Did you know it's a cover version? We, we need <laughs> I, to get I was a kid a when the original came out. We need to get to a place where there is no need for that. Surely that would be that would be the aspiration, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Where services were so focused on early intervention and prevention oh, yeah. that 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 we didn't need to get to the point where tertiary and tier four services, tier three and tier four services were required. And that that has to be the model. I don't think that's in anybody's thinking. I think it's pretty aspirational, like unicorns and flying pigs. Particularly when you look at the health inequalities which people are exposed to, which are the, the main antecedents to poor mental ill health. Let's not, you know, let's not paint this as, you know, it's about mental well-being. We're talking about mental ill health being caused and directly as a result of health inequalities and social injustice. Right? That you, no, absolutely. You, know, you are not going to solve yeah. mental illness without solving the systematic so, problems of society. That's just a given. So if you're going to drive people to extremes by a lack of funding, a lack of transparency in the allocation of funding and having a public health system and a public health message, which actually is about improving the lives, the quality of lives of people, the quality of education, the quality of, of, of um, the, their access to, to, to positive health messages, then mental health is never going to improve. You know, it's a sad, it's a horribly negative um, position. I, I remain hopeful because having seen the changes I've seen in services, as someone who works in CAM services, or man, I'm really hopeful that we can change it because I see the, the quality practice and I see that aspiration to turn that around for younger people at an earlier stage in their lives. But, you know, it, you, you were involved in a really, really in-depth um online conversation with someone who has a very, very negative viewpoint of mental health nursing based upon their very negative mm-hmm. experiences. Yeah. And, and I think that it's one of those things that, um, uh, and it's happened for the, for the last, for the three years that we've run mental health and nurses day, while there is a, uh, generally positive report of it, and and the majority of messages that come through are thank you to all of the mental health nurses out there who are working. We think you're all amazing that comes out. There are a small number um, of messages that come from people who have had a bad experience. And I don't say small number in any way to diminish their experience. I want to make that really, really clear. They... I hope that their experiences are in the minority, but their experiences have been so traumatizing and negative that it still gives me cause to stop and reflect on my own practice. And I think part of, part of what I really took away from this year's event was that yeah we've put some effort into celebrating and promoting the profession for one day a year and you know that that goes really really well but actually for the rest of the year how many times do you go in 
to the workplace to, you know, how, how many times do you go into an inpatient unit, into a community team, into a team meeting, into a planning meeting and see stuff that you just know is not okay. And we're just sort of stuck with, can I, is it even safe for me to call this out? I, I know in my heart that this thing is wrong. You know, I, I, I have seen practice that looking back on it, I'm, I, I, I sort of feel shame that I didn't just stick a fork in a consultant's say, eye to shut them no, up. Do you know what I mean? No, because I, I, I because I've it, seen so many things that are damaging. Slope, right? mm-hmm. It's a slippy slope. Sometimes... Yeah. The poor practice. I remember a, a, fab, a really fab mentor of mine when I was um, just before I qualified. Uh, he said to me, uh, "I witnessed some really poor practice, and it, it just I knew I just knew I had to do something about it, and so I did, and I was really supported." And um, he said to me, "Do you know what? Stuart? You look back on." how you look back in this situation in you know 15 20 years time and you'll be the nurse in charge he said you, you won't remember the names of the people who were involved in it and you won't remember um what the outcome was for them and you probably won't even remember the outcome for the patient it's what you'll remember is how i handled it when you came to me mm-hmm. he said and that's really important because mm-hmm. yeah, this was about six months before I qualified, before I registered, and I, and I hold on to that, um, that individual, someone who I see every now and again, and and I had the opportunity when I was chair of Congress to publicly thank him for that because he was he was a real he was a real um, solid. He knew right from wrong, and he was prepared to support staff when they came to him when something wasn't right. And even if they couldn't demonstrate it wasn't right, you just had a feeling it wasn't right. He would follow through in that, and he would he would seek that out. And I, I've always held on to that about that you know your first reaction and supporting people to be able to come to you because everything else will come from there, even if it's not as bad as they think it is, or if it's worse than they think it is. How you supported them is really important. I've not even got that bit always right. I know that that sounds like I'm trying. Because it changes if you become responsible for staff. Yeah. You become responsible for their welfare and their well-being. You know, I wrote that little reflective piece in the run-up to um, Mental Health Nurses Day about my reflections on maybe where I could have been a little bit better. But I think looking back, I'm looking back at the me as a staff nurse at 22, 23, as the 45-year-old. And I don't, I think I'm being fair to the 22, 23-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I think there's a part of me... Um, you know, wanting to cram all that into the head of that 22, 23 year old who was just we want to make sure that they got enough overtime in and at the end of the month to pay for their car. <laughs> you know, I, I, I it was a very I nice car that, though, Stuart. You know, it, it was. Um, it wasn't even that great. And but I th- you know, I think there's there's something about I don't want to be the dinosaur that I remember, not because those dinosaurs were bad people. I, I want to be able to give something back to the day I go, but I think that's also about 
being true to who you were when you started, being able to reflect on that and be honest about where you've learned, where you might have made those mistakes. I think we're really good at that in mental health nursing. And the number of people, I was at, so we had a retirement teams. Yes, might have sounded like the most soulless thing in the world, right? And it's only that she said to me on this that Gina, my retiring senior charge nurse, team leader, community team leader for eating disorders, says, I might come on your pod as a guest. I tell you what, we would never need another comedian because she's, <laughs> she's hilarious. <laughs> Spent an hour and 45 minutes just eight or nine of us on a team's chat because we couldn't do her retirement. This is a woman who um, stayed on through the pandemic to run her team because she recognised that, you know, her papers were in, she was, she was ready to go and she held off on her retirement for a year and we had a lovely Microsoft Teams um, reminiscence retirement tea all in different buildings for this fabulous nurse with over 40 years service um, and we were all reflecting on you know, that journey, asking that question, can you remember your first day in the job, Gina? Can you remember your first day as an E-grade? Can you remember doing this? Can you remember that? And she was describing her experiences from the first time she seen ECT. Mm-hmm. And for those of us in, in my generation, I sort of remember it had improved a bit. Yeah. But if you were to compare what Gina witnessed... Yes. Compared to now. And that's sort of in a microcosm the evolution of our discipline. Because I genuinely believe that nursing drove a lot of that change. Um, that mental health nurses, you know, and, and, and ECT is still such a divisive subject. In fact, there's an entire movement to remove it. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier, early, late, in, late in 2020, there was a, a real campaign for it to be withdrawn in England. Yeah. Um, it was it was for an instant moratorium to to have it just yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But but hearing someone speak about it and their experience, we were we were regaling in it. We were talking about the advancements in our profession, mm-hmm. and in that moment, there was a really important handing down of knowledge from someone who had been and walked a line that none of us had walked. Yeah. You know, and I, I think while we're focusing on the um, what the definition of mental health nursing is, we might be at real risk of losing this. Mm-hmm. And just how influential we've been in changing that narrative. Yeah. You know, we might not have got it right, but over decades what we've done is we've changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, the change, the change has been gradual, and 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 I guess that's that's one of the many frustrations that that people might have is that something is wrong and it doesn't get changed overnight. Yeah. It takes it takes decades. I think if you look at some of the some of the other issues around like people's rights, rights that have, have been granted to historically oppressed minorities, and go. Yeah, we're we're not where we need to be, but actually, forty years ago, you would have been locked up. But that's resilience. <laughs> yeah, that's resilience. That ability to take that situation and know that you can't change that in a year 
or even in a decade. It's a long view. You're in that long view. Now, I think that's where we've been as a mental health nursing profession. I think we're in the long game here. And I think the pandemic has demonstrated that. I think that we, we're in this long game of actually flipping this, this telescope round, whereas a professional group, people start to go, oh, do you know what, these, these people actually know what they're talking about. At the heart of every MDT, at the heart of every key decision, at the heart of every risk assessment, at the heart of every application of the Mental Health Act, none of these things happen without a mental health nurse being there. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no need in legislation law for a mental health nurse to be there when a patient is detained, but you bet your bottom dollar there will be one nine times out of ten there'll mm-hmm. be one around. The assessments in ED, the assessments of children coming through on scheduled care, the assessments assessment over the person, phone. Who might and, and it's all still that's my point, it's all still happening. Um and and I'm I'm really proud of our profession and actually I don't want it to have a definition anymore and I don't want it to have an image I just want us to be left alone to do what we do <laughs> just, just, yeah, I just want us to be staffed properly yeah, so that everybody just, gets their breaks and their supervision and a decent pay you know it, it. it's it does, we've boiled what became quite a rambly chat, but I really enjoyed that, Ed Freshwater. I really, and I, you know, see if this doesn't make it to a pod, thank you for just sitting here and chatting with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the moment where I have to break it to Stuart that there is no podcast. This is just part of his therapy. <laughs> yeah, I have so needed this chat. I have missed you. <laughs> oh, it's been far too long. This is this as evidenced by by my slightly manic sort of thought fart at the beginning. <laughs> I was just like, there's so much well, in, in here that I just need. Given to, what ah! we've just given what we've just discussed about mental yeah. health nurses, and given our listener population, I think every single one of them absolutely um, understand where all of that came from. <laughs> <laughs> And that might say more about them than it does about me. Yes, but I tell you what, what was completely weird is in none of that did we go, and it's all Thatcher's fault. Um, no. which I, I but feel it probably is, all, is. It was, though, and I just want that on record. But um... <laughs> For posterity purposes. <laughs> yeah. But there you go, that's an hour of chat. With, uh, well, with... I suppose what we can say is that mm-hmm. we've, we wanted to get back out with an episode. Yes. Yeah, we wanted to have a chat about Mental Health Nurses Day. This has been a bit of a debrief on Mental Health Nurses Day after the fact. Um, We have got, as always, lots of plans to do some more engagement work. I think we have to be honest with ourselves and with listeners. I think we need to pace ourselves over the next few weeks as things start to change in in your world. But um, I think that, that 2021... Yeah, I'm really excited about some of the stuff we can we, we can start to chat about. I'd really like, really like to, to do some more engagement work with our patrons and our listeners and um, and maybe some service users as well, Ed, given some of the comments that came well, back. Do you know what? I think uh, I, I have reached out to a couple to see if we can, uh, of the folk that engaged on Mental Health Nurses Day. Now, some um, very understandably have declined on the grounds that they don't want to do a a podcast where they they feel they might be put on the spot and i i Mm. think that is part of 
that's not so much distrust of us. I think that's part of their sort of uh, memory of the institutional experience that they've had, um, where they will be put on the spot by a professional. And uh, while we would never seek to do that to a person, I totally understand where they're coming from. But I aim to be putting links to some of the the work that they've done uh, onto our website yeah. when I when I get a chance. Yeah. Um, and, I'm really, really and, and I, I will say I will say just for the record, the reason that I haven't done it yet is because I haven't been able to get time to do it, not because I don't want to do it. Um, but there are some no. really really important, erudite, well thought out, and absolutely right service user voices out there with sure. some very very valid criticisms of this uh, of our profession and i think it's it's incumbent on us as professionals to not be defensive in our our practice but to listen and accept that there are multiple failings that have caused quite a lot of harm um mm. to, to a lot of people and and uh and and i guess in amongst the celebrations of, of things like Mental Health Nurses Day, where, where we sort of hold up our uh, profession, we do also have to take with it that there are um, some very bad parts that really do need addressing. And, and I think mm-hmm. the mature thing to do is to say, yeah, yeah, Not you're absolutely. right. And, and, and I want I- us to do a bit of that over the next year as well but, no, I, but think, you I know. think it triggers the thinking i think so i think absolutely and it thanks to the what does the landscape look like for mental yeah. health services in a in a post-pandemic phase as we pull out of that i want to make some reference our friends at nursing notes and nurses united were involved in work with um, dispatches on channel four mm-hmm. around um seeking the views of mental of of healthcare professionals through the pandemic and the subsequent impact on their mental health. Um, and I'm not going to try and just, you know, we're not going to try and squeeze that. And this, this is pretty up to the up to date because it was, it was only, we only started to get the threads on Twitter today um, and get some contact. But I'd, I'd like us to explore in parallel with that some of the work that's been done in there and some of the other research that's come out about the, the lives of healthcare professionals and as a result of the pandemic and the impact it's had upon them because I, I don't, you know, I think we have to start thinking about what the world looks like for them yeah. and what access to services looks like for them. Well, wow. Being, you know, and, and I think there's a, a really interesting conversation to be had. Um, so I think we'll, we, I would hope to um, speak to our friends at, at Nursing Notes and um, at Nurses United and maybe even others involved in that work and see if we can have some conversation and dialogue around that as well. And I would love, well, we're just putting out what we would love to do in 2021. I'd love to have a, a proper debate with listeners live on a Zoom, Ed. I'd love to do that. Okay. Yeah, so can you just, because you're the tech guy. Oh, right, I've got to organise it, have I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the senior manager. I'm just delegating. All right. Hang on, I'm <laughs> <you> again. <laughs> well, it's been cracking to talk to you, Stuart. It's been yeah, far it's been too great. long. And uh, I hope the listeners enjoy our uh, silly wafflings through it. But, uh, yeah, that's the least structured episode since the last no, it isn't. unstructured episode. Oh, right, since the last one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it does still count towards our CPD. 
Thank yeah. you for listening to this episode of RMN Behaving Badly, the best ever topical mental health nursing podcast you'll hear today, possibly. If you want to engage in some high-level and enlightened discussion on progressive and inclusive futures for the whole field of global nursing on our Twitter, we're at RMNBB Podcast, where you will be bitterly disappointed. Stuart is at Stuart McKenzie, and I'm at Ed Freshwater. Tag us and tell us how much you love the show. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram if you search for RMN Behaving Badly and our website at rmnbehavingbadly.co.uk is where you can find our blog, the show notes, and all of our previous episodes. Stuart's put on a stupid hat and putting me off. If you want to listen to a gradual descent into hysterical lefty irrelevance, this show is made possible by our amazing and long-suffering patrons who give us over 30% of their gold-plated pensions every month to fund some lavish expenses like our whiskey habit and Stuart's expensive hair products. In particular, our thanks go to Shelley Pierce, Tom Bolter, Alicia Harley, Denise Kelly, Cecilia Wigley, Maureen Dolan, Daisy Hughes, Becky Hoskins, Lauren Kennedy, Jenny Lee Sims, Lee Orton, Dave Dawes, Sally O'Brien, Sam Richards, Natalie Brooks, Ali Upton, Katie Sutton, Paula Shields, Nat Freighter, Paul Jeb, Phil Noyes, and Billy Drysdale. If you want to join this list of absolute legends, just go to patreon.com forward slash RMN behaving badly. The other thing that keeps this show on the road is a decent whiskey. In this episode, we've both been sipping the Glenlivet Founders Reserve. Go on, sponsor us, I dare you. The music for this episode is by the Barstool Astronaut, whose work you can find on Spotify and at barstoolastronaut.com. Thank you for bearing with us through a bit of a dry spell. I can assure you that we're back and as full of poorly thought out lefty opinions and hatred of the Tories as ever. Honestly, the work-shy, incompetent right-wing grifters has got us so riled up, I'm currently building a trebuchet in my garden to fling the buggers into the sea. I might need a lie down. Yes, that seems the best plan. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with some more incisive bobbins. In the meantime, stay well, stay safe, speak to you soon.